0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is A World at the Well, by Pastor Sean Wood. Can we pray as we prepare to come around God's Word? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here and we just invite you to open our hearts this morning. That we would have eyes to see Christ... And that your word would pierce each one of our hearts. In the glorious name of your son Jesus, we pray, Father. Amen. 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 Future Bibles like to meet me in John chapter four uh, this morning as we work our way through that chapter. Uh, I have attended many football games. No, 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 no. Foot Okay. okay. Again, before we go any further, football, football in the original language is spelt A-F-L. Yeah, And so uh, I've been to a few football matches, but I've watched far too much football. When you're in Tasmania, you have to watch most of the football on television, but how many people know it's not the same? It's just not the same, you, you can follow the scoreline, right, and you can, you can kind of follow the course of play, you, you get sick of the commentators like Bruce McAvaney and all those sort of guys, you, you're kind of over that, but, but recently we were, we were blessed, we've come up here, we're not used to this kind of thing up here, a big crowd in Tassie's like five, but, <laughs> but uh, we, we were blessed and, and somebody said, hey listen, I've got tickets. Uh, for a Brisbane Lions game, would you like to go? And look, I don't particularly follow the Brisbane Lions. I don't care who's playing. Uh, I'll, I'll go. And we, we managed to get these fantastic seats right behind the goals. Uh, and it was just a fantastic experience. There's yobos in the back yelling things. And, you know, you end up with beer all over you because the guy behind you can't walk properly and all those sorts of things. But there's a difference between being at the game and watching it on television. And what's the difference? The difference is experience. Same game, same scoreline, but there's a difference in the experience. Today, I want to ask everybody to come with us on a journey. Turn off the television and let us dive into a Christianity that's all about experience. Because today, as we will unpack today, the, the current culture today doesn't need another theological lesson. It doesn't need another doctrinal formula. It doesn't need another religious system to follow. We live in a time when people need to drink and experience and know living water. And we're going to unpack why that is this morning. If you've got your Bibles met me at uh, John chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 1 and work our way through. And Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Why? Uh, first of all, baptising today is uh, kind of a little bit different, but in uh, first century, you had to have an authority to baptise somebody, and so uh, there's a lot of questions around Jesus' authority. He moves on, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, which is an interesting phrase, because geographically, he did not have to pass through Samaria. Uh, I... Strongly believe, we're not told this, but I strongly believe it was a divine have to that led Jesus through Samaria. Uh, As the crow flies, you probably would have gone through Samaria, but all of the uh, pious and very religious Jews would take the long way round because they considered it to be unclean to even walk through the land of Samaria. We're going to unpack a little bit more of why that might have been in a moment, but they didn't want to make themselves unclean, so they would avoid. Samaria completely. What I love about Jesus is he doesn't care what the culture or the or what anybody else says. He's just on divine appointments. I love that, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, probably one of the more prominent towns at that time of Samaria near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's really, really important. The sixth hour is about midday. Why is that important? Because a woman from Samaria had come to draw water. We were never told this woman's name. We're never told a whole lot about her background, but we don't need that information because we have all we need in just those verses. You see, in the first century, it was the place of the women, or it was the expected responsibility of the women to go to the well to draw water, but they never did it alone. And they always did it first thing in the morning or last thing in the evening to avoid the heat of the day. But here we find a woman all on her own coming to the world in the middle of the day. And that tells us volumes about this woman, It tells us that she doesn't belong. It tells us that she must have a reputation. And we learn later on that she does have somewhat of a reputation. What we do know about this woman is that she's not accepted by everybody else. What we do know about this woman is that everybody else has shunned her and pushed her aside, but Jesus sits at the well. There is so much of this woman that represents today the culture that we have. This woman is coming to the well to draw water, but her thirst is so deep, no water in this world will ever quench it. We're going to unpack more of that as we go along. But this woman at the well could be the world and the culture that we live in today at the world. Uh, Today we live in a culture that is thirsty. If you could sum today's culture up with one word, it's the word Thirsty. And we have a culture today, it, it looks different than it has in the past, but it may be fleshed out differently than it has been in the past, but we live in a culture that is trying to draw water from the wells of the world to satisfy a spiritual thirst that will never be satisfied with anything from this world. We live in a culture today that's trying to seek the answers to three major questions. The First one is identity. Who am I? Have a look at how that's being fleshed out today. Today, people are trying to answer the questions of identity. Who am I? Belonging. Where do I fit? Who am I? Where do I fit? And the last one, the most important one, I think, in so many ways, is all about purpose. How can I make a difference in this world? And what is the purpose and the meaning of life? Because what we actually see, it may look like alternative lifestyles. It may look like gender confusion. It may look like careerism, secularism and hedonism. It may look like all of these things. Hedonism is we're here for a good time and not a long time. Hedonism is all about sucking pleasure from the worlds of this world that leave you dry and thirsty afterwards. But the reality is that every single one of these is Trying to answer those questions. We're seeking purpose and meaning in life, and they will never find it until they encounter Christ. And what this woman teaches us is that nothing is new under the sun, because uh, I'll talk more about this later, but a, a guy by the name of Francis Schaefer wrote a book called A Death in the City. And he was referencing the parallels of the time of Jeremiah to the time of his day, which was around the 1970s. And he says that he was living in what they called a post-God culture. If you could take a photograph of his culture at that time, he says it's post-God, which means we've moved past God. We don't need God to answer all the questions. We don't need God to help us uh, satisfy this inner thirst. We'll do it ourselves. We're, We're rocking our own boat and nothing's ever changed. But we find that's exactly the culture that Jeremiah was confronted with. It's a post-God culture. And today we live in a very similar culture. It's post-God, post-Christian culture that says, you know what, we're, we're, we're done with God. We're done with Christianity. We're, we're done with these things. We don't need God to answer the big questions of life. We, we don't need God to find purpose and meaning. And what I would say to everybody today, how's that working out for you? How's yeah. <coughs> that working out for you? So the question is, what do we need to know and what do we need to do? There's a couple of things that we need to do when we finish, but let's explore this further. Let's let's see how Jesus treats this woman. I, I find this fascinating. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. It's interesting. Maybe what Jesus did not say is more interesting. Jesus didn't say, you're a dirty, rotten sinner and you're going to burn in hell. Hey, hey, listen, it's true, there are eternal consequences for the choices we make in this life, but that's not what Jesus leads with. He also doesn't lead with any kind of labels. You see, in the eyes of Jesus, if we read on here, even this lady is surprised. She says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask a drink from me? Well, what's the problem with Jews and Samaritans? Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And in case you missed the boat, Jesus was a Jew. You see... Jesus' culture, the religious culture that surrounded Jesus says, we don't deal with Samaritans. We don't talk to Samaritans. We don't want anything to do with Samaritans. In fact, any contact with them will render you unclean and you've got to go through a process of washing. But it's even worse if it's a woman and you say, well, what's the problem? The problems were mostly theological. You see, the Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Bible. The Jews held to what they would consider the Torah or the complete revelation. They would say, you know what? Uh, The Jews were saying, uh, we have a more greater understanding of who God is by the Psalms and the wisdom literature, as well as the prophets and what they reveal about. But the Samaritans said, we only hold to the first five books of the Bible. And even Jesus will say to this woman, you worship what you don't know. but that doesn't stop Jesus starting a conversation. And he starts a conversation with, give me a drink. Reading the Gospels, I've noticed something. Every one of Christ's conversations are loaded. And what I mean by that, he's going somewhere with the conversation. Jesus doesn't want to drink. He wants to build a bridge between himself and this lady and a connection. Let's read on and see what Jesus has to say to this woman at the well. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? uh, Just so that we know, uh, we're going to need to know this information as we work our way forward. It was uh, uncustomary for a man to speak to a woman without her husband present, if they were alone. Uh, Just... As an aside note, why why the world? What's going on here? Why the stigma around the world? Wells, the only way we would understand it today, wells were kind of considered to be also a pickup place. For a male to strike up a conversation with a female could have been deemed as being flirtatious and, and and out of order. Jesus does not fall into man's apparent order. Jesus answered her, I love this verse. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. From here on, the one word that dominates the next eight verses is the word give. Hang on to that word for a moment, because uh, what Jesus is saying to this woman is, "If you knew." Now, that word in the Greek is not nosko; it's ego, e i g o, and what that means is it's like a perception. It's like if it's like the mental gate that lets truth and information in. What, what what Jesus is saying to this, if you grasped the fact of who it is you're speaking to and what I'm here to offer you, it's not a you might have; it's not a you could have. You definitely would have asked you definitely would have asked of him if you grabbed and understood what it is and who it is that is standing before you, you would have asked and I'd have given you living water the gift of God is eternal life the one standing before her is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the son of the almighty God living water is the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? We know that because if you read verses uh, 37 to 39 of chapter 7, you will read that, again, a uh, different context, which is at the end of the Feast of Booths, but uh, different context, but the same word is used, living water. And there John clarifies for us that living water is in reference to the Holy Spirit, whom the disciples had not yet received. And so today... I find this profound that when Jesus meets a thirsty woman at the well, he doesn't offer her better buckets. He doesn't offer her a deeper well. He doesn't say, I've got a better well. He doesn't say, I'm going to dig it deeper. He doesn't say, I've got more buckets for you. He says, you need to change the water you're drinking. Jesus didn't come to give us better buckets to draw from the wells of the world. Jesus didn't come to 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 give us better programs and better systems. The world is waiting at the well for living water because they're thirsty and they don't need more programs. They don't need more systems. They don't need more arguments about doctrine. They need to encounter the living God and have living water. They are thirsty. Let's bring this into the church scene for a moment. Often, we can fall into the trap and make the mistake that we come here Sunday to try and crack some weird algebraic formula where we draw the Holy Spirit. If we just kind of... If we get all the songs right and the preaching right and if we just get the, if the lights are right, if the floors, if the building's right, if everything's just right, we'll crack the code and the Holy Spirit will fall. But can I tell you today, Jesus didn't come to give us buckets either. We've missed what Jesus has said here. Jesus didn't come and say, here's another way you can draw living water. Here's another way you can do it. No, Jesus says, if you ask of me, I'll give it to you. Give you living water. It's a free gift. If we have a world at the world that is thirsty, what they need is living water. What they need are people full of the Holy Spirit with springs of living water, says John chapter 7, that will bubble up forth and flow out. Jesus isn't talking about a well. He's talking about a fountain, a spring that naturally keeps bringing forth. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman goes on and says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Here's another Nicodemus moment. Jesus is talking to the ruler of uh, Israel, the spiritual leader of Israel. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and and he's talking to him about spiritual renewal. And he says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, how am I going to get back into my mum's womb? His mum's thinking, "Uh uh uh." (laughs) Jesus is talking to this woman about living water and she's looking for another bucket. Where do you get that living water? You don't have anything to draw with. Uh, Here's a really important question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes, ma'am. What she's really asking is, is your water better than Jacob's water? I come out here, I come to Jacob's well, I draw Jacob's water. This question's deeper than, are you greater than Jacob? Is your water better than my water? Is your, what you have to offer, will that satisfy me more than what I'm already partaking in? And, and we can get lost in religious systems. For those that read the pastor's comments a couple of weeks ago, there's a, there's a huge difference between motion and progress. Christianity can look like a treadmill. You just get on and run. Yes, there's activity. Yes, there's motion, but you're not going anywhere. And the message that the church has for the world today must be, we have the water you're looking for. Not only do we have the water... We know the source. And what a shame if the church turns up to the world and the world says, I see you, the world says, I see you at all the same worlds. What an indictment on us as the people of God if we turn up to the world and we're as thirsty as they are. My heart... For us as a church, moving forward, the journey that I want to ask everybody to come on as a church is that we would go on a journey where we experience God. This isn't about merely turning up and going through a random set of steps and programs and formulas. That's not what it is. It's not like we'll just go through the motions and and clock in the card. We want a vibrant, dynamic, growing relationship. We want to be a spring of living water flowing out. But if we don't satisfy our thirst, So first of all, as we move on, let's have a look at uh, what happens to this lady. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks from the wells of the world, no matter how deep you dig, no matter how long you go, you're going to get to the bottom of that well and find there's no water there, you're going to be thirsty. Uh, Drinking from the wells of the world is like being intensely thirsty and then drinking salt water. Everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give. There's that word again. There's that word give. Jesus didn't come to to place demands and yokes upon us. He came to set us free and to give up. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This is what I love. Jesus didn't come to remove the ache or the desire. He came to satisfy that ache or desire. Wherever you read about thirst in scripture, it's speaking about a spiritual desire. We are are surrounded today with a world and a culture that is full of spiritual desire. They're just fleshing that out in very unhealthy ways. You will never know your true identity. You will never answer the question of who you are until you meet Christ. You can't. You will never get the true picture of who you are until you're confronted with the Son of God. You will never, you will never find a place to fit until you are slotted into the kingdom of God. And you will never find purpose and meaning in your life until you find it in a relationship with God. Jesus said about the gift of God, which is eternal life. Uh, All of the Jews in that day, eternal life was something that was future. Eternal life, all of the promises of God, all of the messianic prophecies, all of those things, they were all future. They were all eschatological, which is eschatology is the study of future events. But they placed all of that. When I die, I'll go to heaven and I'll get all of this. And for all of us here, there's that wonderful promise that we will have that glorious consummation. But Jesus came to pull all of that from the future into the right here and now. Jesus wants you to know eternal life is not an insurance policy or a free ticket to heaven. Eternal life is knowing God. This is eternal life, he says in John 17 verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God. And you can do that today. You can start that journey today. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. That water will, will give him, will, <clears throat> The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. I've started praying this prayer. Jesus, give me more of this water. It's okay to be thirsty, by the way. Jesus came to redirect our thirst. Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 5 that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, speaking about our appetites and our desires. So give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. And you might think she goes home with nothing, but of course she does. And so I'm asking everybody here, uh, if that's you this morning, uh, sir, give me this water. Uh, I, I, I just want you to answer that question for yourself this morning because uh, I want everybody to come on a journey of doing the deep work. Often we get to this point and we turn around. Often we get to this point and we say, that's close enough, Jesus, Uh, back outside you go. You see, the problem, remember the Laodicean church? Remember the lukewarm church? Uh, Everything on the outside was going gangbusters. If you had a look at this church from the outside, you'd say, what a church, They're, they're giving money, they're going great. Jesus says, you guys are lukewarm. In verse 20 of chapter 3 of Revelation, Jesus says, and this is to believers, not non-believers, this is to believers. He says, I'm standing at the door and knocking. All you have to do is go and open the door and let me in. But when Jesus comes in, for those that read the pastor's comments this morning, what we see here, what I wrote about this morning, we're about to witness what that looks like. For those that haven't read it yet, spoiler alert. Um, but I wrote about the fact you could go to the deepest part of the ocean, you can, which is over the Mariana Trench, by the way. We've put a man on the moon, but we have not put a man to the bottom of the ocean. It's good fishing down there. <laughs> but you could take a glass bottle with a cork in it and you could throw it into the deepest part of the ocean, and that bottle won't sink. It'll float and float and float. And if you want that bottle to sink, you just have to pull the cork out. And the water will rush in and it will be completely overwhelmed and it will sink. Your greatest need at that moment wasn't for more water. You had all the water you needed. There's just a cork there. The other analogy is you could stand on the beach and you could stand next to somebody who was blind And as the sun comes up over the horizon, that blind person could look directly at the sun with their eyes wide open and not see one thing. And their greatest need in that moment is not for more intense light. Their greatest need is to have their eyes opened. The greatest need for this woman and for us is that God would pull the cork. I hope to... Over, particularly over this next year, I hope to change your prayer life. And before you put a position to vacant, Pastor wanted, <laughs> it, if your prayer life sounds like God, we pray that you turn up the church, He's already here. Yeah. That's right. There's not a deficiency in God's presence, there's a deficiency in our awareness and our openness. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some good news this morning. If you're praying, Father, pour out your spirit, you don't need to. Because what happened at Pentecost was God poured out his Holy Spirit. You don't need to sing. Pour out your spirit. You don't need to pray, Father. Pour out your spirit. He's already done it. When Joel prophesied in Joel number chapter two that uh, he would pour out his spirit in the last days, it was a present participle. It means it's just going to keep pouring and pouring and pouring. It's going to keep going. There's no endless. It's not. uh, Peter speaking in chapter four of Acts, looking back at Pentecost, says this God has poured out. Oh, okay, so what's the problem then? The problem is, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to pray for God to enter you. Because just like that bottle, there's not a problem with the supply. There's not a water problem here. God's not holding out on us. God's not holding back on us. God's not drip-feeding us his presence and the Holy Spirit and his promises. No, 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 there is an ocean of living water available to us, but we're all clogged and corked up. Lord, pull the cork. Lord, empty us. Here's what it looks like. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. Oh, now things are getting personal. Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus is pulling the cork. Jesus is emptying her. What's the problem here? Even if these marriages and divorces were legitimate, uh, Jewish law only allows for three. And even if they were all legitimate, the guy she's now with is not her husband. And you know what? Jesus never backed away from the conversation. Jesus never talks to this woman, he never calls her an adulterer, he never puts any labels on her, he never shows any kind of disgust or resentment. He never looks down his nose at her. To Jesus, this woman is not an adulterer. To Jesus, this woman is not the sum total of her sins. To Jesus, this woman is a thirsty woman at the well that is living water. And is created in the image of God. And that's what we stand for here. Whoever walks through that door, whatever baggage you come with, you are a person created in the image of God and you're thirsty, and you're lost. We don't change the gospel. We want to give you better water. We want to take you to the fountain and the springs of living water so that you will never thirst again. You will forsake the wells of the world if you taste of Jesus. When I was in Tasmania, I used to enjoy a good beer after work. I remember going into a pub in Hobart, Slobart, for those that live in Tasmania. (laughs) On my way home from work one day, and I said, I'll have a beer. And he put the glass under a tap of Cascade Lager. I said, no, sir. That won't do. I only want the good stuff. It's got to be Bogues. And everybody in Tasmania they, may ever listen to this. Friends, this woman here in the world doesn't need labels. You are not defined by your failures and your mistakes. That's not who you are, that's what you've done. the gospel can set you free. Go call your husband and come here. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Which is an interesting statement when she doesn't really hold to the prophets. Our father's worshipped on this mountain now, now she wants to kind of change tact but it's, it's not wrong to ask this question but God does a deep work in this woman's life and, and Jesus goes on and says, you worship what you do not know and, and so what I pray is that this would be a place where God does his deep work in us. I pray that God would release the cork. I pray, uh, when I pray for you guys and I pray for you all and myself a lot, here's what I pray, Lord, empty us, empty us, empty us, empty us, empty us. And then we read, you know what, we kind of complicate evangelism. I think we overcomplicate it. I think, we, I think we think to ourselves, I've got to have all the right doctrines and all the right formulas and all the right verses all in line. I've got, to, I've got to memorise the Roman road. This woman knew none of that. What I love about what happens next is she leaves her water jar. She runs into the village uh, and she elevates. I love how Christ does this. Christ elevates this woman. She's the first evangelist. And she didn't run into the city and go, hey, listen, you guys, we need to get the doctrine of justification right. (laughs) I need to know where all you guys stand on a righteous... That's not what she said. What she did was she ran into that city and she said, come and meet a man that knows me better than I ever knew myself. Told me everything I've ever done. My heart for us as we move forward this year is that the Holy Spirit would do a deep work in each one of us, but that it would flow out. We overcomplicate evangelism. We think we have to have all of these things in line. Just find somebody at the world, start a conversation and just tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Yeah. Just say, I met a man that transformed my heart. Everybody in this room can do that. And you might be sitting here today saying to yourself, well, you know what, uh, I'm not an evangelist. And yes, you are. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon and I'm going to quote Spurgeon so if you've got a problem send it to Spurgeon's email complaint box but C.H. Spurgeon says every single believer is either a missionary or an imposter complaints at c8spurgeon.com yes <laughs> you're off the hook Liz <laughs> but he's right God has called you to be a missionary in your workplace. God has called you to be a missionary at the supermarket. Just start a conversation with the lady serving you at the checkout. Just start a conversation with somebody next to you in the aisle. Just start a conversation about mangoes maybe, wherever it might lead. But just say, hey, it always ends up with, come and meet a man. I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren says, I'm always trying to build a bridge between me and another person that Jesus can walk across. And every one of us here is called to be a missionary. Every one of us here is called to meet the world at the world. And we're not called to go out there with better buckets or better systems or better programs. But take the power of the Holy Spirit to a thirsty world and say, we have better water. We have the water that you're looking for. Put your buckets down because Jesus will give it to you. the book of Jeremiah, we ask ourselves, what do we do? Number one, find somebody at the well. Everybody in this room can find somebody at the well. Your well might be your workplace, your well might be your school, your well might be your kitchen table. Men, fathers, every father's a pastor. Jeremiah, if you and for those that have been to Laguna Christian Church, for nine years we did a 200-part series on the book of Jeremiah. I mean, I was there for eight and a half years and I wasn't finished when I left. <laughs> I thought either Jesus is going to return or we're going to get to the end of the book, one of the two. But, but what I did learn throughout that series and what I learned from Francis Schaeffer's book is that there are enormous parallels between the book of Jeremiah and today's culture. And Jeremiah confronted with a very similar, fleshed out in different ways. They were, uh, the people of God were worshipping all these other gods and and they'd run off after them. And in in chapter 2, verse 13, here's what Jeremiah says. uh, These two things I have against you, says the Lord, that you have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And you have hoed out cisterns for yourself, broken cisterns. One of the two things we do: find somebody at the world, the second one is, abandon the systems of this world, friends. and come back to the fountain of living waters. It is no use going to the world with water from this world. We will all just be thirsty again. You might be sitting here saying, well, what do I do? Uh, uh, How do I come back to the fountain of living waters? It's really simple. We just put God back in the number one place. We just say, you know what, God, I'm going to put you, you're going to have the say in my life. Uh, I'm going to drink from you. You're going to be my supply. Jesus, you are my more. In a culture that wants more, 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 we live in a Rockefeller culture. Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. We live in that kind of culture today. Just a little bit more. Just one more fly rod, surfboard, cats. Friends, I I believe in the power of the gospel believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are all faced with the same challenge. We can all find ourselves seeking satisfaction in the wrong places. But I pray that God would empty every one of us. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. When God goes deep, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. God wants to fill us. And what I see are a couple of hundred springs of living water flowing out into a community that is desperately thirsty. Let's pray. Jesus, you said that if I go, I will send another helper. Holy Spirit, I want you to know you're welcome in this place. I want you to know that you're welcome in my life. Father, I pray that every one of us would be empty, that we would forsake the broken cisterns of this world and that we would pursue and seek only the fountain of living water. Jesus, we ask that you would give us more and more and more of this living water. We are thirsty for more of you. We want more of you. Empty us and open us, we pray. Use us as conduits of living water to a thirsty, thirsty world. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today. And we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.